Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 29. What do tiny houses have to do with travel? Well, a lot. For one, there are people like Alexis and Christian and Jenna Bessard who have traveled extensively in their tiny houses. But long-term travel in a tiny house is more of the exception, and there are way more people, myself included, who use their tiny house as a launching point for adventures near and far. In this conversation with Jason Moore from the Zero to Travel podcast, we'll talk about seven ways that living tiny can help you travel more. Even if long-term travel isn't your goal, if you're hoping to one day live tiny, there's a little something in this interview for you. If you've just found the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast from my interview on the Zero to Travel Podcast, welcome to the show. This week, I'm going to be playing the interview that you've already heard, but there's a back catalog of 28 awesome episodes for you to check out. I put out a new show every Friday morning, so make sure to subscribe so you can get a fresh episode next week. I'm continuing to love the feedback I'm getting from listeners. This week, TRJ29er wrote to say, Ethan does a fantastic job selecting guests for the show. The questions he asks are helpful, organized, relevant, and to the point. I have not heard an episode yet that didn't have fantastic content. Thanks for putting on a great show, Ethan. I'm so glad to hear that, and if you are enjoying the show, I'd be super grateful if you would take a moment to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Your feedback is very much appreciated, and you never know, I might just give you a shout-out live on the show. One last thing, thank you to everyone who joined Tiny House Engage. I can't wait to meet you inside the community. For those of you who didn't listen last week, Tiny House Engage is my private online tiny house community where you can ask unlimited Q&A, access a full library of video training content, and get advice and accountability from people who are planning and building their tiny houses right alongside you. Registration only opens once every five to six weeks, so sign up to be notified the next time it opens at thetinyhouse.net slash engage. That's thetinyhouse.net slash engage. All right. From here, I'm going to turn it over to my good friend, Jason Moore, and my interview on the Zero to Travel podcast. My guest today is not only one of my best buds, but host of the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast and founder of thetinyhouse.net, where you can learn about all things tiny house related. But this is a travel podcast, so I know you might be thinking... What do tiny houses have to do with seeing the world? Well, you're about to find out because we're going to share with you today seven lessons from the tiny house movement that can help you travel more. And stick around for number seven because it has to do with pooping in a bucket. You're not going to want to miss that one. Ethan Waldman, welcome back to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. It is so good to be back on the show, Jason. Yeah, three-time guest now, which is uh, pretty spectacular. Well, we, we've we been friends for a while now, and, and some of the past shows, if you want to hear Ethan, we do a whole Tiny House episode where we share his story, and it's really Tiny House specific, and then we have another episode where you talk about your cycle touring experience, and I think that was part of our cycle touring week. But anyway, it's nice to see your face. How are you today? Thanks, man. I'm doing great, and I have to say, you were trying to convince me to start a podcast all the way back the first time I was on this show. So I finally did it, and I have to thank you for that motivation. 
<laughs> well, you're welcome. I'm glad you did. And you said you're having a blast with it, right? I love it. Yeah, I it's a can't believe I waited thing. this long. Well, yeah, it's no, one of those things. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> two <laughs> podcasters. Get two podcasters together. You, you know, gonna have some talking over each other, I guess. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, it's still small. I'm growing the show, but just the experience of getting to chat with other amazing tiny house people who are innovating in the field, who are building amazing houses, who are traveling, who are doing amazing things. It's just like so inspiring to get to have those conversations every week. When you zoom out, I think the spirit of the tiny house movement, generally speaking, and the spirit of the long-term travel and you know nomadic movement or whatever you want to call it, is really based around having more freedom in life and choosing a particular lifestyle that is not only fulfilling to you personally, but that gives you more freedom so you can, you know, exercise, exercise that freedom of time and, you know, things that we're going to get into today. So we should probably get into these lessons because we have a lot to talk about. Um, and we should share lesson number one. Do you want to, do you want to take over on that one? Sure. So lesson number one is ditch your crap. Or, Ditch your crap. I know we're talking about pooping in a bucket later, but it, it, maybe crap's going to show up in a couple of forms. Ditch your stuff. this list. And, uh, ditch your stuff. <laughs> so this is the number one lesson in the tiny house movement that can also help you travel more, which is you need to learn how to downsize. And, you know, when you when I decided to build a tiny house during those several months that I was saving up money to build the house the way that I kept myself excited about the project was by doing something that I could do and I couldn't build because I didn't have the money yet so I could downsize. And so I started with the easy stuff, the books that I hadn't read in years, the clothes that kept getting moved from, from rental house to rental house but never got worn, extra kitchen stuff. And so... I recommend starting with the easy stuff and then going into the hard stuff. So build up, basically start downsizing in an area of your life that you're like, ah, I've been hanging on to this stuff for a while. I could live without it. And then work your way up because you kind of build up some momentum. I love that. I like what you said about, you know, you're still taking control of the situation in a way. And you're saying, okay, well, even if you're getting ready for your first trip, or your next trip or whatever it is going to be a long-term trip and you need to get rid of some stuff, you're saying, hey, I can't, maybe I can't book the plane ticket now. Maybe I can't leave my job just yet, but I can do something that's taking action towards that. And I can sell these books and do these things. And you'll feel like even if you have this plan where you're a year away from traveling and taking a year off or whatever, you're still taking action towards it. That feels really good, right? Absolutely. And, and what's interesting about downsizing is that it's, not a one-time thing. It's a constant battle. I have a friend who's a, a math professor and she travels all over the world teaching seminars and she goes on sabbaticals and, and travels. And I see that she is constantly downsizing because no matter how vigilant you are, wherever you go, you accumulate things. People give you gifts. You buy an extra pair of hiking boots when your old ones get lost on the plane. And then you have to make choices about what you keep. So downsizing is is a skill that you can use forever. That's true. My wife and I are finding ourselves in that situation right now. They say that 
you know, you, you always get enough stuff to fill the space that you're in, which is a good thing in a tiny house, I guess, because there's not much space to fill, right? So you, by default, you need to have less stuff because there's nowhere to put it unless you're starting to tarp everything outside and that probably gets annoying. But, um, yeah, you're right. You just accumulate things and sometimes it's not even intentional. You're not even buying them. You're giving, given things or whatever. So, um, I think the hardest part for people before we go to the next point is the, it's not just the physical getting rid of stuff, but the emotional attachments to certain things. So when you get beyond like the books and the clothes you haven't worn for a while and stuff like that, and you get to an item, I don't know if that was something that stands out for you where you were like, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I can let this thing go, but it's taking up all the space. Uh, how did, how do you manage that? And what is your advice around, around those moments and those things? Well, the good news is that you don't have to do anything. Nobody's holding a gun to your head and saying, you have to get rid of this thing. So when I encounter something like that, I usually put it back and I make a mental note, you know, keep an eye on this. See, see if you use this thing. And the next time that I'm kind of in a downsizing tear, if I come back across that thing, most of the time, nine times out of 10, I haven't used it. I haven't worn it. And the second and the third time, it gets easier because you realize, you know, I like this thing, but it's really just not, I'm just not using it and I don't need it. So it gets easier if you revisit. The bonus tip too is you can take everything you sell, take the cash from that and just put it into your travel fund. Then you feel like you're, you know, you're killing two birds with one stone there. Yeah, absolutely. And and when I was downsizing, I was definitely selling anything that had value on Craigslist and eBay and putting that right into my tiny house fund. Yeah. Nice. Did you have a separate bank account for your tiny house funds? Yeah. I set up a like a savings account in my Capital One. Like You can just make as many savings accounts as you can. So I actually called it the Tiny House Freedom Fund and you know, oh, that's awesome. actually physically moving money from my checking account into that account was also just felt powerful. I love the name of that. Just adding, <laughs> adding freedom in there. I think that's something everybody should do if you're having trouble saving up for a trip or you're just in the process of it, if you can open a free savings account and you can name it something like that, like the travel freedom fund, that just, it makes it more fun to put money away, right? You're like, okay, I know this is going to be money that I'm going to spend on an experience. Totally. And, and I made it into a game like, you know, when I went out with some friends and decided like, hey, I'm not going to order drinks. I'm just going to hang here and have a good time. I would go home and be like, well, that's that's $30 in drinks that I get to put in the Freedom Fund now. And I would actually nice. like open up the bank app on my phone and move that money into that account. Oh, that's sweet. And hopefully uh, some of your friends bought you drinks anyway. Yeah, yeah and I'm a cheap <laughs> date. I mean, it doesn't take many. <laughs> You're like, I still had three beers, but I saved um, 25 bucks or whatever. No, that's cool. I love the way thinking of it that way, where if you're if you're kind of taking away a personal pleasure, like if you go out with friends like that and you might want to have a few drinks, but if you're saying, you know, I'm not going to do it because I'm going to put it in towards the fund. And then later you get to transfer that money, even though it's sort of a mythical 30 bucks, right? In a way, but not really because you would have spent it. You know, it's it's an interesting way to kind of see a concrete result from, you know, you're not just taking away a personal pleasure, but you're adding something later so it balances it out. Yeah. And the best part is that you you don't have to make any more money than you were already making. It's just right. re, it's just refocusing where you're spending it and being intentional about kind of pointing it almost pointing it out to your own brain like, hey, look, 
I chose mm. not to do this, so now later I'm going to get to do that. That's a great point. The just by going through this, you're you're building up another muscle. I think of an awareness muscle. I guess you could say where you're becoming hyper aware of where money's going or where. Yeah, I think once you make a decision to travel long term or to build a tiny house or whatever it is and and you're going for this alternative lifestyle type of situation that's sort of outside the box, it's good to kind of start reframing things in that way. And I think that's a great like specific example of how to reframe uh, taking away a, a personal pleasure but adding to, you know, another personal pleasure that's for the greater cause is something you're going to get more enjoyment out of later. Not an easy thing to do no. all the time in the moment. <laughs> All right, let's go to number two, lesson number two. All right, lesson number two is owning less means living more. Woohoo! Oh, yeah. And what <laughs> I felt like that required a woohoo at the end. I like it. Living more. Living, living more. more is what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> maybe That's you want to, maybe do you want to reintroduce that one? Owning less means living more. That's Ooh. kind of how it sounded in my head. I don't know oh, why. I'm jazzed up now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a cliche saying, but it's like, you don't own your stuff, your stuff owns you. Yeah. It's so true. And it's not just a financial suck. And the the like obvious example is when you own a big house, there's so much maintenance. Like the roof goes, okay, that's 20 grand. Oh, the furnace just went out. That's eight grand, you know. But it it works all the way across. Like, you have two cars, that's two times the the maintenance costs. And then right. it's not even just money, it's time too. You spend yeah. so much time cleaning a bigger house, um, organizing more stuff, maintaining more possessions. And so the less you own, the, the more travel you can do and the less money you're going to spend. So it's just, it helps you be lean. And, you know, my image of the long-term travel is somebody who has a backpack and I've watched these videos of people being like, here's everything I go around the world with. Here's everything that I carried in my backpack. And I think that like humans are so drawn to that because it's like, wow, this, you know, this person's traveling around the world. I want to know what the important things were because if, if they can do it with just this one backpack, like how could I apply that to my own life? And so, you know, even if you can't, reduce your things down to a backpack owning less just you'll feel the burden of all your stuff lifting as you get rid of it yeah and after you do it for quite some time it's it does change your life forever it's really hard to go back to uh, either a certain way of living or even if you I mean, it's okay to get possessions again and everything once you settle down i think i mean sure it's like to each his own but i think if you've traveled for a long time with minimal stuff, you you were just you become more hyper aware and, and and judgmental of what you bring into your life, which I think is a good thing and a big lesson that I learned from traveling, you know, with just everything I had with me for so long and not having much else. And um definitely changed my life forever. It got me out of that consumer mindset. I think when you're growing up, especially in the States, uh or I could say Western countries, there's just it's just kind of consumerism is just like a thing. You don't think of it as, oh, I can opt out of this. It's just kind of a thing, right? I mean, did you have that experience growing up? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the way that the culture raises us collectively. You know, we're right. watching TV and seeing advertisements for all the 
the toys that we then inevitably, you know, ask our parents to buy us. And it's, you know, growing up in school, it's just all about what you have, your possessions. So yeah. culturally, I think that we start off at a huge deficit. You know, we have such a disadvantage because we're not taught how to to live with less. Yeah. It's amazing the things we aren't taught in school that we should be, but that's probably another podcast. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a good title for a podcast. The seven lessons that you weren't taught in school that you yeah. should learn as an adult. Coming soon to a podcast near you. Uh, you know, a friend of mine, before we got on to the next point, I was getting together with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me about his friend who has cars and boats. He's, he just said he has an ungodly amount of money. And his friend was complaining to him saying, oh, you know, yeah, he's like, well, you got all this stuff. But all I do is I'm spending all of my free time taking care of it. To your point, not just the expense because he has plenty of money, but going in, you know, taking this for an oil change and getting maintenance on this is just it's a, a nonstop thing. And it's funny to think, you know, on the surface, you might see somebody like that and walk up to their house and see all their cars and their boat and this, that and think, oh, well, this person's just living the life. They got it all. They got money or whatever. But, you know, even those people can find themselves burdened by their possessions and, and complaining about them. And, and you know. It's it's just an interesting thing. I don't know. Maybe this goes back to our hunting gathering days, right? Where we didn't really have possessions as cave people. Maybe. Maybe there's like maybe. a whole paleo like offshoot to this. Maybe. Maybe the next uh, seven lessons from the paleo uh, <laughs> age. <laughs> All right. That's not this podcast. Let's no. go into lesson number three. All right. Lesson number three. Less overhead means less hanging over your head. I don't know about nice, that one. Nice twist on words. Yeah. Well, so this one's huge in the tiny house movement because so many people come to it for financial reasons. You know, either people who are retiring are saying, okay, I'm living on a fixed income now, so I need to reduce my expenses. Let's go with tiny house living. But what ends up happening is people come to the tiny house movement for financial reasons and then it changes their lives in so many different ways. They start traveling more. They start taking on new hobbies because they have more time. It just, it really just spreads out. And what I realized when I was kind of in the corporate grind before I built my tiny house is that everybody is struggling with this balance of time and money. The people who have lots of time don't really have very much money, so they can't necessarily do the things they want to do. They can't necessarily take that epic ski trip to Vail, or they can't, you know, take up kiteboarding. And then the people with money, the people who, you know, work in full time, punching the clock, money might not be a problem for them, but they have no time. And so tiny house living is, is like a life hack because it allows you to live for so much less money. And what you'll find in the tiny house movement is that people with full-time jobs build a tiny house and they have no intention to like quit their jobs. But then a few months into it, they're like, I don't need to work this much because my, my expenses, my monthly expenses are so low. Like, why do I need to work full-time? Oh, I don't. I can work part-time now. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, this one is so directly relatable to travel. Because the, the cheaper your monthly nut is, 
the longer you can be away. I mean, because when you leave on a trip, it's not like your life at home just like ceases to exist. Oh, I mean, maybe it does, but there's a good chance you've got maybe an apartment that you're renting, maybe a mortgage that you're covering. You have expenses and the lower those expenses are, the longer you can you can skate without really earning income. Yeah, I mean, I think the other parallel that you mentioned too is you're choosing the ch- tiny house lifestyle and then you say because of that, all of these other things improve in your life, right? When you're, when you have less overhead and, and all of a sudden people are traveling more and things like that. And I think it's the same thing when you're choosing travel. And I, I talk about this a lot cause I'm sort of obsessed with this process of, okay, now somebody's choosing to travel and th- travel in and of itself is a reason to travel, right? Being immersed in cultures and seeing the world and how it's going to change you and everything like that. But then you, you take it even a step further and think, okay, if you're going to travel long term, that basically forces you into making a lot of other big decisions that uh, I've found through conversations improve people's lives, like starting to analyze what stuff you own, how you're living, if this job's right for you, and all of these other things that are like seem seemingly tangential to the to the main tangential. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, no, you got it. Tangential to the main sort of dream, if you will, of travel, but it's it's all related, right? Because this is all you can't just separate. Oh, I'm going to build a tiny house, and like that's this thing, and the rest of my life is this bucket. It doesn't really work like that. Yeah, I mean, for example. There's a couple that I know that I can send you their website. They built a tiny house on wheels, sold their house, and then embarked on a round-the-world bicycle journey. So they like mm. literally built a tiny house to do long-term travel. Sounds like some candidates for the Zero to Travel podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on getting them on. Um, yeah, I didn't want to tell you about them until after you booked this interview because <laughs> then you would have just passed right over me. Never, my friend. I'll never pass over a chance to to see your beautiful face, Ethan. Um, okay, so you have some tools that you use for managing your monthly overhead, right? Do you want to share a couple of resources? Sure. Um, I am a huge fan of YNAB, Y-N-A-B, which stands for You Need a Budget. Uh, it's a budgeting software, I guess you could say. It's you know it, it runs in a browser and they have an app for your phone, but I never kept a budget until I found YNAB. And I found YNAB after I was done with my tiny house. Maybe if I had had it, I wouldn't have gone so over budget on my tiny house build. (laughs) Well, yeah, if you need some help or a tool, that's the one you recommend, right? If you're going to actually get into numbers and budgeting, which, you know, I was, you can recommend that to people, but sometimes it's hard to get people to actually do that. I've been meaning to do it for a while myself and I still can't bring myself to setting it all up. <laughs> yeah, well the cool thing about YNAB is that it is a budgeting program, but it's also a methodology and they're really great at teaching you the methodology and then the software kind of reinforces that. So you're not just staring at a blank spreadsheet when you open yeah. up YNAB. It's really um a well-guided experience. Got it. Okay, cool. And that's your main tool for budgeting, right? Yeah, exactly. And if you are saving up for anything, I so recommend, you know, you don't have to use YNAB, but have a budget, know where your money's going, and then you can really see your progress. You can actually watch your your travel freedom fund grow over the months. 
Yeah. And of course, for getting out of debt and things like that, which I know a lot of people are fighting that battle. It's it's huge to know where your money's going, of course. And I know our point number four here, lesson number four ties in with this one. And that's just and I'll I'll take this one. The debt free life is the good life. And we, we just want to touch on this really quickly, because I think when you get into, okay, well now I'm setting up this app for budgeting. It's, it's all this unsexy stuff, right? Like, oh, I'm going out with friends and I'm not going to have some drinks with them. Oh, I'm going to go online and create my monthly budget. Yay. You know, it's all this stuff is just like, ah, this sounds like such a drag, but we wanted to put this as point number four, just to reinforce the idea of, okay, yeah, looking at the light at the end of the tunnel, when you reach it, what that's like. And I, I know personally, after I paid off my student loan, how, just how good that felt, you know, of, of not having that debt hanging over my head and how much it freed me up to, I was already traveling even with the debt, doing travel jobs and stuff, but I just, I felt even more free, you know? And um, I mean, feel free to share some of your experience or just stories around, um, just getting rid of debt or, you know, not being burdened by that and what that can do for you. Yeah, I've I've just been extremely fortunate that I've avoided debt for the most part. Like when I was working my corporate job, I did buy a pretty sweet car and I, I took out <laughs> some debt for that. It was a, a Mini Cooper Clubman. Mm-hmm. I did love that thing. It was a lot of fun to drive. But all of a sudden, every month I had like, close to 500 less dollars because I was paying a car payment. And slowly I just realized that it wasn't worth it. You know, like I could I could buy that 2004 Subaru Outback because that's kind of a requirement to, to move to Vermont. You're, you're required <laughs> to drive a Subaru. Yeah. And... Standard issue. Yeah, total, totally standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think the other point on this that I wanted to make is that you know, not all debt is bad. You know, if you're investing in a in an income generating property that you're going to rent out and make money on, like by all means, like take on that debt. But if you're thinking about taking on debt just to own something, just, you know, to upgrade your car from from one to another or, you know, to even go back to school, like unless that degree is going to earn you more money, I would I would really think about whether you want to be having those loan payments for the next 10, 20, 30 years. I would not recommend going into debt for school personally. I mean, unless, like you said, I mean, if you're following a passion that is something, you know, you can't, you can't DIY become a doctor, you know, if you want to be a doctor. Right. You need to go to medical school. Right. You know, and that that's not a podcast about this. Maybe there's some hacks around that. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, well, my, I got an email so, from somebody the other day saying, hey, you know, should I take a year off school? Should I said, if I was just going to school now, I would recommend, even if you might not want to go to community college or whatever, you know, whatever you do, like work, whatever it takes, just don't go into debt. Because if you come out of school with all this debt or whatever it is, it really limits you in terms of if you're, if you're somebody that wants to travel. You know, you're really going to be limited. Yeah. I mean, so my wife is back in school right now, um, but debt-free life is the good life. Because our monthly expenses are low, we are able to pay for her school without going into debt. And she's studying to be a nurse practitioner. So when she graduates, she'll be going from being a bedside nurse to being a nurse practitioner. And that's an immediate 
raise. So right. it's even though we are spending a lot of money to do this, it's, it's more of an investment than just yeah. a, a debt. It's situational, of course. I mean, it's impossible to have a conversation like this and speak to everybody, but it's just the the idea of the debt-free life is the good life and, and just keeping that in mind, I think, of, okay, you know, credit card debt, very very bad to have, <laughs> not, not a great thing to uh, walk around with. Uh, mentally, it, it can, not only mentally can it sort of, stop you from doing the things you want to do. But I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to, but it can certainly weigh on somebody as we discussed. But also it it just might stop you because you don't have the money. So just keeping that in mind as you're going through these exercises and remembering there's a greater, a greater thing that you're going to get out of this. Um, Okay. Number five, you want to take this, Ethan? DIY rocks. Yeah, I'm holding up the two fingers with the two fingers down thing. The rock. I don't know what you call that. The bull horns? Is I, that don't, I don't. Called? You know, the rock. The rocks. Yeah, the it's rock like. signal. It's the thing that you do at the at the rock concert yeah, with all like the kids. Yeah, like if ACDC was playing and you right. hold up the thing right. with the, woo, yeah, with all the kids. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know if anybody actually does that, by the way. Oh, they totally do. Do they? Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, so DIY rocks. Um, so many people in the tiny house movement are building their own houses or, you know, building maybe not the entire thing, but taking on a significant portion of it. And most of us have no skills when we start. You know, I I had no building skills when I started on my house. And by the end, I was a proficient builder i wouldn't say a pro but that experience is so empowering and it really just prepares you for the next challenge and i don't know how exactly this can apply to travel because again i do you're not going to build your own plane but maybe jason knows how this can apply to travel i think i do okay hit me well diy i I, when i think of do it yourself. I think of, you know, being an independent traveler versus signing up for an expensive group tour or something like that. Because with the group tours, it's not like that group tours are bad that I would never do one or anything, but generally speaking, I haven't. And I mean, I've done things, you know, when I'm in cities or, you know, going to Machu Picchu, you hire a guide and they take you through for four days or whatever. But you know, that Machu Picchu would be a good example of just a specific, what am I saying? A specific thing or a specific destination that somebody would want to go to. And you could sign up for a group package with a touring outfitter and spend thousands of dollars or maybe even tens of thousands of dollars. I don't know. Or you could show up, organize it on the ground or, or reach out beforehand to individual outfitters. And, and I don't know what the cost would be nowadays. I went a long time ago, but you know, have it for fractional cost. And that might seem scarier because everything's not set up and things like that. But that's an example of DIY. I think you learn a lot. You get to interact with people you wouldn't have interacted with, I think, uh, uh, if you were just on a group tour as opposed to being an independent traveler. Uh, again, that's not knocking all group tours because there's some good ones out there. And I think ones that really get you connected with local cultures and things in the right way. But that's kind of the takeaway, I think, that's related to travel here because it is empowering. So if someone wants to travel and they're saying, okay, I can take this trip by myself and I'll land in this on South America, but I'm going to be by myself and that's scary. Or I'm going to do this you know, group thing that'll be safe and secure, but I'm going to spend a lot more money. 
you're going to spend more money and you're also probably not going to get as as empowered or learn as much as if you went right. on your own. Well, once you do it once, you can you'll do, be able to do it again. So you right. decide I'm going to go take this trip. I'm not going to hire a guide. I'm going to do it myself. And then the next country you decide to go to, you're going to be more likely to just be willing to jump in and do it yourself. And now you can build houses or tiny right. houses. Well, right? <laughs> what's what's crazy is that, you know, all houses require maintenance. So, you know, I've jumped into things in my tiny house that in the past I wouldn't have ever dreamed of doing without calling a professional. I mean, right. everything from wiring to propane to plumbing, um, you know, we had a, a water leak and I like literally opened up the wall of my house and like took the cabinet off the wall, fixed the pipe and like put it all back together. And you realize that everything is learnable. I mean, there's yeah. YouTube, there's there's the whole internet out there, but usually the knowledge isn't the barrier to doing it. It's just the confidence of knowing so that you can and being willing to fail. And so... The more DIY you do, just the more confident you get and the more willing you are to just jump in and do it. And I come from the camp of pre-confident Mr. Fix-It Man, Ethan, where I, you know, it's, it's scary. The, the project you just described terrifies me or would terrify me if that happened in my house. And I think part of the reason is I am so intimidated by house stuff, even though I've fixed things before and done things, but for some reason... I don't know. I think in that example, you know, you're if you do make a mistake, you're going to stare at it every day in your living room or whatever. Or, you know, you don't want to. I don't know. I, I, do I don't lack know. the confidence. Some, I admire your skills and like, man, I, I, I admire I, I admire your travel skills, because like to me, if you screw something up in your house, like there's a, a line of professionals who you could call to fix the problem and just make it go away. But like if you screw up in like a foreign country, like my biggest fear is like being somewhere with no access to money, no access to like the internet or a phone and no way to speak the language. Yeah. Well, you would figure it out. Exactly. And, I guess, and the same thing yeah. with the house project. <laughs> right. Once you, once you cut the hole in the wall, you're going to figure out how to fix it. I think I just had a eureka moment. Really? Follow yes. it, man. T t show well, me what, go. Follow my eureka moment? Okay, is well, I will six? do that. Well, that is that is lesson number six. Follow your eureka moment. But um, my eureka moment that I just had is that I will start putting holes in my walls. <laughs> yeah, just don't <laughs> don't punch holes in your walls. If no, you no, do, no. then They're I would suggest walls, therapy. I would be like, yeah, I would be like the one of those, I don't know, X-Men or something where just right. concrete shatters everywhere. That's cool. Uh, follow your eureka moment, lesson number six. What do you mean by this? You came up with this one. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's like you never know where the journey will take you. And so for me, you know, I did the bicycle tour, which, you know, people can listen back to episode, I don't know when, years ago at this point. Episode something. I did that bicycle <laughs> tour and I got home and back in my cubicle and I came across Tammy Strobel's Tiny House on Wheels. And the second I saw the concept, I'd never heard of the concept of a house on wheels. And it was just like, that is what I need to do. That will solve my problems. I need to do this. It was like a truth that suddenly became apparent to me. Wow. And you have to, I think that everybody has those moments, but it's it's up to you to listen 
when that happens. Yeah. So when you have that eureka moment, follow it. Like, don't don't just be like, no, that would never work. Don't don't like go all negative on yourself before you really give yourself a chance to to follow it and see where it goes. I love this. I was just writing about something like this today in a new project I'm working on that I can't reveal right now, but we'll reveal soon. And um, I was saying, you know, it's it's this it's always this battle, right? Your soul is screaming like travel must travel for you. It was like must build tiny house. It was just this immediate need and and ongoing and this white hot burning desire. But then your mind steps in. It's like, "Eh, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't do that. That's probably not a good idea. You got responsibilities, you got bills. So it's this mind soul battle in a way. And it's just so easy to let your mind with win because if you identify with your mind thinking, you think, well, this is, you know, I'm just being rational. I'm just being smart about this. But that's not always the smart thing and not, not the thing, I, in my opinion, that you should be listening to. Hard to ignore your mind, though. Yeah, very hard to ignore your mind. But you never know where the journey will take you. And that's, that's the other point on this topic, which is, when I built the tiny house, I was first working full time and then consulting for that company. And I had a completely different business, uh, like a tech consulting business. But as I was building and just getting so many questions and feeling just the energy around tiny houses, I realized that there was an opportunity to become an expert and and start a business. And Today, my life looks completely different. I mean, I literally run an online location-independent business that's all about tiny houses, and that was not my intention at all. I never was like, oh, I'll build a tiny house so I can like get in on the tiny house like business Right, trend. like a strategic business strategy or something. Right, I'll do this yeah. so I can start a business about it. No, I didn't, but like, that's that's where it took me, and I have, would have had, you know, I had no way of knowing that, so... I had to follow it to get here. Yeah, and now you're ending up serving people and writing about and podcasting about something you love and something you're passionate about and something that you were immediately excited about when you found out about it during your eureka moment. I think that's a beautiful thing too, especially coming from, like I said, lacking the confidence on on building or, or repairing a wet you know, leak in a wall or something and thinking, oh, you... like putting myself in your place and thinking, okay, you're saying I'm going to build a house and you don't know, you don't have really tools. You don't know how to do carpentry. You don't have any of this stuff, but just embracing that Eureka moment and going with it and then just taking those steps to get there. Do you remember the first concrete step you took? Was it setting up the bank account or was it uh, something else? I mean, there are so many different first steps that I could say. I think that for me, the thing that felt really real was I bought a set of plans, you know, and Mm. I spent several hundred dollars to buy plans. And I actually didn't even end up building that house of the, the plans that I bought. But just doing that made it feel real. Like I had yeah. something, I had blueprints that I could look at and and say, this is going to be my house. That's huge. And I, I think, I think when you 
have a eureka moment for you listening. It might have been, oh, I'm going to travel around the world or I'm going to build a tiny house or whatever it is. It, maybe there should be some kind of graph for this, right? But like it, it, the amount of time that you take between having the, the eureka moment and taking a small action step is probably somehow equivalent to you actually doing it, right? Like, I feel like the longer you kind of wait, or I, I shouldn't say not that you would actually do it in general, but maybe you would do it more quickly if you take a small action step right away, if you have that eureka moment. So if you're dreaming about long-term travel and you're listening to this or, or being nomadic or just, I don't know, whatever your thing is with travel or tiny houses or anything, maybe taking a small step today, if you haven't taken one yet, is a good thing to do. And I think, like you said, Ethan, I've certainly done things like that where I was like, oh, like this is this would be a cool idea and maybe I bought in a domain name or something and maybe I never used it or never pursued it and that's okay too. You don't have to beat yourself up for that. But when you have those real true eureka moments when your soul's speaking, take a small action step, whether it's spending a few hundred dollars, that's a big action step really, you know, on plans and saying, yeah, this is no, going to be big. my future house. Um, but it's, it does make it real and what, in the end, you didn't use those plans but wasn't it worth those few hundred dollars because you were able to do this like yeah no that committed me to the right. journey and you know it gave me something to show people when i was talking about it and get feedback and yeah no without doing that i don't know if i would have built the house you know it just sent me on that journey yeah in the grand scheme it doesn't probably make a big difference financially but it's yeah it puts you on the journey and then i love the idea that you never know where the journey is going to take you because I, mean, I can totally relate to this too, Ethan, when I was do, doing the whole nomadic thing and stuff like that. I never thought like, you know, oh, 15 years from now, there's going to be like, a bunch of people that want to live this way and I'll have done it and I'm going to be able to share my experience. Like, you just don't, there's no way you can, that Steve Jobs thing, you can't connect the dots backwards or you can only connect the dots backwards, right? To how yeah. you got to a certain place. Yeah, like 15 but. years from now after the internet gets invented because... <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Enough age jokes. Um, I guess I've been doing this for a while. All right, the last lesson, lesson number seven. Can you say it? I can say it. Why don't you say it? Well, I said it in the beginning. We teased it out. Don't be afraid to poop in a bucket. Yeah, what so... Well, <laughs> this one is near and dear to my heart because um, I do a lot of education about tiny houses and the systems in tiny houses. And everybody always wants to know, how do you poop? Where do you poop? Where does the poop go? The and many tiny houses use composting toilets because many tiny houses are parked off grid in places where there is no hookup to septic or sewer. Yeah. And people are afraid of this. Like they have a visceral reaction to the idea that they are going to poop and it is not going to get flushed down the toilet. And, you know, I could rant about how the flush toilet is crazy because we're literally defecating into drinking water and then flushing it away. But once you have the experience of using a composting toilet, you realize that it's really not a big deal. It's, you know, instead of quote unquote flushing the toilet with water, you're flushing it with sawdust. And so be open to radical lifestyle changes because 
they can lead to huge benefits. You know, your tiny house might not have plumbing or running water, but that's going to enable you to park it on the edge of a lake or like in the middle of the forest where there's no utilities. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing goes for travel. You know, when you're on an adventure, you might be living in ways that you never thought you would live, you know, that maybe in your normal life would be totally below you. Like, you know, stealth camping on someone's private property, sleeping outside. I'm sure you have tons of stories of of how this can relate to to your journeys, but just be open to those radical lifestyle changes. Yeah, and I think if you're gearing up for travel too, it's it's the same, right? Uh, I got an email from somebody the other day and one of the things they said, they were just listing all the things they have done to make their long-term travel dreams a reality. And one of the things they listed, and I've gotten this from listeners before, is you know, getting rid of their house or their apartment, whether they sold it or they were renting one out, and, and moving into a place and ha- or having roommates come into their place or going into a place where you have roommates. Now, like a radical lifestyle change is, of course, subjective. To one person's radical might be somebody else's, oh, that's no big deal. I'm just going to get some roommates. You know what I mean? But either way, whatever your version is of that, whether it's leaving your job and just going or just getting some roommates and maybe you don't want to have roommates. Maybe you like living alone, but you're saying, you know what, like for the greater good, uh, for this, for my travel fund or whatever it is, that's my bigger goal. I'm going to take on some roommates right now, you know? Um, or like you said, some stuff that can happen on the road and things like that. I think there's a lot of, um, pooping in the bucket parallels here, but, um, either way being open-minded about, different ways of life that can enable you to either travel or extend your travels or um, whatever the case is that, that you want to do. I think that's that was a really good lesson to finish on. That's it for today's episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much to Jason Moore for this unique opportunity to be on the Zero to Travel Podcast for the third time. You can find the links and resources mentioned in this episode, as well as a link to the fantastic Zero to Travel podcast over at thetinyhouse.net slash travel. That's thetinyhouse.net slash travel. As always, the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is brought to you by Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the guide I wish I had when I built my tiny house, and it comes in three different packages to help you get a jump start on your planning. Save hundreds of hours of research and thousands of dollars on your build with Tiny House Decisions. You can learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. We're offering a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the coupon code TINY to take 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY for 20% off. That's all, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.